1: Hello and welcome back to Heart and Hand. This is Heart and Hand Extra, your second free show of the week. Uh, As usual, I am your host, Adam Thornton. Feels like, uh, this feels a little bit weird, I know I've only been away two weeks, but I think a lot has happened and we're going to get into just how much has happened on this. Obviously, we didn't do a show last week with the sad passing of the Queen and it was great to see her being commemorated uh, yesterday before the game, which we will come into. But moving on to who I have with me tonight, we have first of all, Ross Hutton. Ross, how
0: are you doing? I oh, it's always a pleasure to be on with you, Adam. Thanks for having me back.
1: Yeah, we normally do these shows after European highs and we've got the, the drudgery of domestic football to look forward to. I think this is going to be a little bit different if uh, some of the comments anyway that are coming in quickly are anything to go by. But to join us to add a little bit of uh, exotic flavour, will we say, all the way from Tel Aviv. Andy Barnett, how are you doing?
2: How you doing chaps? You're both, uh, I don't know if it's because of the Queen's passing, you're both dressed in black and Adam you yeah, yeah, certainly look You certainly look cold but I do apologise if I've got a brighter uh, uh, look going on here in the background
1: Yeah, um, it's maybe my mood after, like I said, after the last two weeks of uh, fallen Rangers home and abroad it's maybe starting to get to me a little bit But mm. um, we will get on, so this show tonight will be looking back at, at last night's 3-0 defeat uh, against Napoli in a game that I think <laughs> Rangers were unfortunate in, um, if you can be unfortunate, in a a 3-0 defeat. Um, Ross, given the week before where Rangers were very much not unfortunate and and didn't show up in in both games against uh, Celtic and away to Ajax, what were your expectations coming into the game against Napoli, who um, led the top of Serie A uh, (laughs) coming
0: coming over to, to Ibrox? Uh, yeah, maybe the expectations and the hope are maybe two different things going into that game. Obviously, James and I were at the press conference, the Ibrox and Napoli press conference that is um, on Tuesday. And James and I spoke about it then as well. If anything that the Napoli players and management had said had changed their expectations or thoughts that were going to come on that game. And no, probably not. I think it's not just myself, but Adam, I think a lot of Rangers fans were incredibly realistic about the challenge that we faced last night. Napoli, like you say top of Serie A, flying, one of the most informed teams in Europe, got great young players coming through, they are the the real deal in the full package. And when you get to this kind of level and get to that kind of opposition, then I do think you need to manage your expectations. Now, that doesn't come at the cost of competing and it was my big gripe against Ajax. Celtic game was just something else entirely exists within a sphere of its own. But we go away to Ajax, the Champions League and listen, they're top operators. Everyone is at this level, but I don't think that means that we can't compete and try and be in a game and make it tough for them and do all the things that I think for the most part of the game up until the sending off that we'll cover we done last night. So in terms of the expectations, not a lot, but just the hope that we would try and compete with Napoli, keep them honest, take our chances if they come. We've done some of that, not all of it, but I think it was a, a marked improvement on what we've seen before.
1: I think that's, that's pretty fair, Andy. I think we... <laughs> Given that week, um, which we're not going to dig into in, in too much detail, but given that week, um, I think I was going to say both of those results can happen. The the parkhead can never happen. I think as as far as anyone is concerned, but certainly it's not out with the realms of possibility that Rangers go away to uh, a team like Ajax and and get turned over, and um, particularly in the Champions League. But but given that sort of mood music, if you like, um, coming into this game, um, there had been obviously quite a bit of chat about mega criticism of van Bronckhorst, mega criticism of Ross Wilson, but there were still some people saying it's very rangers to to come here and and put on a show on on the european front what was your thoughts on how that
2: was going to pan out i think for me uh, and i know this is not the rangers way results the result last night was going to be secondary to the performance um normally we'd want to domestically it's always the other way around we can get away with not playing well as long as we win for me given the what happened two weeks ago we had to show i think our players had to show that they were playing for the manager and we had to see there was evidence of that on the park and i think we did for the most part that there was a, a level of organization cohesion that they'd been actually working and on something and listening to the the directive from the management um and that they weren't just turning up uh, with a lack of confidence prepared to be turned over we had to see something from them last night and i think To be fair, we got that. Uh, We can talk about the incidents that changed the game, but I think what's positive for me is that it required incidents, key incidents to change the game against us, rather than us causing major, major problems and being down and then chasing it. And for me, that is a marked improvement. I mean, there's no doubts it was an improvement from Ajax, but I did not expect us to get anything out of the game last night. What I wanted the bare minimum was a performance and a reaction from the weeks previous, uh, the criticism for Geo, I think, was fair, uh, given the the two previous results. But they had a bit of time to reset, and I think what we saw last night that we we still have something there that the players certainly should be good enough to take. And, and take that form domestically. With regard to the Champions League, I don't think there's a chance now of us progressing from this group. I think that's clear. This is a different level from the, the Europa League. So to answer your question, Adam, about like ha- that special home night, I think it was a, a, an incredible atmosphere from what it seemed like. And we, were, we hung in there for a good hour, but it's a different level playing against playing against Napoli, um, I think they're better than any team we faced last season including Bruce Dortmund so all, all in all, it's not a good result but what I wanted to see was a reaction and performance and I think to be fair we got that.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes we can maybe underplay a, a team's a team's quality given what we did last year um, beating Borussia Dortmund, beating Leipzig both of those teams would probably give uh, Ajax and Napoli uh, a decent game. Um, I can't I think the Dortmund beat Ajax quite convincingly last year at some point, I'm sure, or, or certainly the year before. So there's that. But then I think also when you add in everything that's happened with us, um, player injuries, player fitness, people getting back up to speed, etc. I think it was just one of those sort of perfect storms that we probably weren't really going to expect to get anything out of the. Out of the first game, certainly, um, and then maybe into the last, maybe into last night's game, with all of that on our minds, then we're thinking, right, okay, we'll just see what happens. We'll try and stay in the game. We'll try and get a performance, like you said. It was a very emotionally charged night. Um, obviously the brilliant tributes to to the Queen by by the Union Bears, and then we had the the national anthem and a perfect minute of silence, which was great, and it was well deserved. We're absolutely delighted to see that, and and the fans were up for it, Ross. The fans got behind the team um and you can't blame us given what we'd seen the the week before if we if it had been like a if it had been quiet, then i think you probably couldn't blame us but even with the grumblings about the team which we'll come on to um even with that starting lineup the fans absolutely played their part and and got us um got on our side and and were the, the 12th man if you like i know it's a cliche
0: yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes back to what I said earlier on as well about the expectations of the fans. If this was if the first game back after everything that had happened with, obviously, those two defeats and then uh, the passing of the Queen. If this was Dundee United on Saturday, maybe the atmosphere is a wee bit different. And maybe we are sitting there and being a lot more demanding in terms of, OK, you need to go out and get a result and, you know, put in the performance. And we were demanding of the performance last night. Again, it comes down to those expectations. We are realistic, you know, we're demanding, but I think, in the most part, on occasions like last night, we are realistic and we know what we're going to come up against. And we know on nights like that that the team need our support. We've seen it last year. You know, I don't think anyone could sit here and say that we had any right, so to speak, to go and put in the level of performances at home that we did against the likes of Dortmund and Leipzig, like you mentioned. And we needed something else and probably a little bit extra last night to, to try and pull us over the line. And it was spoken about so much last year, the European Knights at how big a role the fans had to play. And I, I think everyone was aware that it was going to be needed last night. So I think there was a real consciousness within the support at Ibrox to try and get behind the team because if it was the case that we'd all went there and we just got on their backs from minute one it was never going to be conducive to a good performance or a good result in the end we didn't get the result but I think it did definitely help try and push the team on and drive them into giving a much more acceptable level of performance.
1: Andy there's a couple of comments coming in that I want to get get your take on we've mentioned there. Couldn't fault the effort, as you said. Darren Stewart has, has agreed, but as has been said more widely, none of the summer signings making the starting eleven is pretty damning. We have a, a kind of contrasting opinion here, which is from Simon, <coughs> who says on the new signings not being good enough. I, I saw someone being clamped on Twitter today by a reply saying, "How many new signings played against PSV? What's your thoughts on that?" So, to give context for anyone who who's been living under a rock, we we started last night with nine players who played in. Stephen Gerrard's first season um, I think the only two that weren't there were obviously James Sands and John Lundstrom who, who both signed last season I think the average age of the team is one that's a bit of a debate as well it was 29.9 when you include James Sands that just turned 22 in that it's, it's pretty significant in terms of, of that you're talking over 30 for, for the other players so if you're doing well and if you get a good performance, Andy, you're probably talking about how that team's got loads of experience. I think you said yourself, was it something like 220-something appearances per uh, per player that played? So yep. lots of experience there. However, at this level, with the physicality and the speed that these teams have got, can you rely on that? I'm not sure. But where do you land on whether or not that, that team last night was the best team that we could put out as Van Bronckhorst alluded to, and if so, does that automatically mean that some of the guys like Cholak, Tillman, Davies, Yelmaz that were sitting on the bench are just deemed not good enough, or are we still in a sort of early days, duties out category?
2: I think we're still in an early days category. I I mean, people saying that Gio um, was making a point by doing that, absolutely no way. I'd like to put that to bed, at least in my opinion. I don't think he would do that in a Champions League game to not play Players to make a point to Ross Wilson on the board? No, absolutely no chance, in my opinion. Um, I think we have to look at each player in isolation. We know Davies has had some personal issues and is still working his way back. Uh, Yilmaz, to be fair, Borna has probably been our best player since the start of the yep. season. So I don't see the case for bringing in Yuma's last night, although I do think that will be phased in over the next few weeks. Lawrence is injured, so nothing c- can-, can be said about that. Um, Matondo hasn't kicked off as, as good as we'd like. Um, I think Tillman and Cholak are probably the only two of the new signings that I might have expected to play. But when you saw how well Morelos played and what he offers us, then that answers that question. Tillman, I think, probably could have started. Um, I, I think he might have offered us maybe a bit more in those transitional areas. Although we yeah. did compete well, we didn't offer much. So I think those are the only two, if we're looking at it, I think, to be very, very realistic. None of the other signings, I don't think, um, would have played either because of injury or or whatever else. There's a bigger problem, though, and that is that, as we've said, these, this group of players has not really... Uh, changed over the last five years now and uh, yes there's an an argument for continuity and maintaining high standards but when we've seen regression in quite a few of the players and we've spoken about it on many shows here uh i'll give you glenn kamara Connor goldson ryan kent some of these players who've been with us for five years have regressed and whilst we got a good showing from most of them last night kamara will come on to i'm sure i don't think that um they can absolutely guarantee their place in the side. So, I think there is a bigger problem there. That if we're not, if we are bringing in players that are not better than what they what we have, then we're not going to move forwards, and we will continue to regress. I think that's the bigger argument than simply looking at last night.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think there's two sides to it, isn't there? Like we said, those three yeah. or four years of continuity, they know everything about each other. But really, in the modern game, I think when you get to about. Three years. If you aren't evolving, then you end up falling behind. And I think we see that at Liverpool and Man City. They've been fantastic at it, bringing in key players every eighteen months or so that are going to move them forwards.
2: What I would ask is, I mean, I don't, I never thought I would have seen a midfield with uh, Jack Davis and Arfield starting a game like last night. No disrespect. Again, no to, uh, no, no <laughs> disrespect to any of them individually. They've all been terrific club servants. All of them. And you saw how much Davis can still offer us last night. Um, There's a case for him to have played. I thought Arfield and Jack both did okay uh, for the large parts of the game. But that is not a midfield that is going to take us forward. It just simply isn't. And we have not invested in the centre midfield positions at all. I think the last person we spent money on was Morris Edu in that position, which I think tells you everything you need to know.
1: Absolutely. Um, before we dig into the game, Ross, I just want to get your your take on one point that, that Andy mentioned. Now, this isn't a a like for like thing, but there is a there is a a theory or, or a a trope that gets put out on Twitter that it's an absolute disgrace that uh, we've never replaced Alfredo Morelos or, or we've never had a, an adequate backup or rotation option for Alfredo Morelos, um, and lo and behold, yesterday all over Twitter was Morelos has to play Tulek like has seven goals and, and six three goals in six Champions League games but there is no debate in anyone's mind that Alfredo Morelos has to play that game and he played very very well that's not a debate but it is just funny how, how can we realistically be able to replace or, or be able to bring in a rotation option when just almost everyone to a man regardless of what any other striker does says oh, you need to play Morelos
0: It's a wee bit like the Harry Kane conundrum at Spurs, isn't it? Absolutely. No no matter what you do, no matter who you bring in or who you recruit, it's always going to be Harry Kane, which is fine. And when, you know, bring it back to Morelos, when Morelos is on form and he's firing and he's fit and he's scoring and he's a Morelos that we all know that we love and he can be, then yeah, great, that's fine. It is always going to be Morelos, a very, very good striker to replace him. But I think the thing with Fred Morales, and yeah, he played really, really well last night, probably wasn't at his sharpest. I don't think that's his fault. He's not had the game time. He's not had the, the pre-season that other players have. But when you do have a it's that's maybe not at his fit and at his sharpest, then you have another option like Cholak, who plays a different kind of way to Morelos does. Yes, but if you have an option there, then yeah, you absolutely need to use him. So I don't necessarily buy into we haven't replaced Morelos or we don't have an option who can stand in for Morelos because we do. It's Cholak, he just plays a different style of game. And I think more, someone called him yesterday in one of my, my a pals script chats I was in saying he was um, dead within the past two games, that he wasn't really involved. I don't know how much of that is really his fault, to no, be fair. I As I say, he's, he's a different kind of striker. You need to give him a different kind of service. He's not going to be the same kind of player that Morelos is. And I'd say that's more down to a team fault that highlights and accentuates that issue rather than a recruitment issue. Per se, but yeah, like I say, if if we're always going to be in the mindset of it needs to be Morelos, and it's going to be very hard for any of us if we're when the time comes that Morelos does have to move on to mentally try and move past that, if we can't move past it while he's here.
1: Just a final point on on the Morelos debate. There not not that there was a debate. I don't think in anyone's head last night that, that he should have played. But just in terms of how how we managed to to deal with both of them together, even if they are all, all firing. Uh, Finn Fogel I hope I'm saying that right On, on YouTube Morelos did well But his finishing was still poor Last night He had some good openings One on one Cholak might have scored I think I jokingly uh-huh. said that In our group chat that, that Cholak would have Probably scored the the First goal He probably would have scored it Because he's about What four inches taller So he probably would have <laughs> Got it just by By sheer physicality But um, <coughs> You can't be too harsh On Morelos When he's literally His first game and First start in what Six months or something like that So oh, not, not at all can't.
0: But I, I think um, I think that's maybe the point That he's not the sharp and fit Morelos that we, that we know and love. And he can't have been because he hasn't had the preseason, he hasn't had the game time, like you say, He's his first start in youngs, you know what I mean? So we can't be too harsh on him in that respect. But that that chance in the opening minutes, is a damn good chance. It's a really, really good chance. And at that level, you do need to take them. And it's not... A dig at Morelos because, God, he has pulled us out of a hole, not least in Europe over the years, so it's far, far from a dig. But that maybe is the point where you would want a striker who is fit and firing and confident in the way that Cholak is. He's not exactly in a dry spell for goals. You give the player like Cholak a service and he will bury that when he's in that kind of form. So that's maybe the difference there. On the other hand, I thought like we said, Morelos was very, very good at managing to kind of win wee niggly fouls and get us up the park last night and use his body in the way that we have seen before. So, as I say, it swings in roundabouts, but In that penalty box moment inside the first minute or so I think you're right, you probably want luck On the end of that at that minute in time
1: We're going to come on to talk about some of the Some of the key moments I think we mentioned That that probably changed the game ultimately Um, But just before we do, if I can Jump on my soapbox for just a little bit Um, The whole Ross Wilson debate Again is a wash over Twitter Ross Wilson doesn't pick the players That we sign (laughs) Um, It's it's a fundamental misunderstanding of his role He doesn't do that Um, The manager... The head of recruitment, and yes, Ross Wilson as the managing director of the football department. It will be a collaborative approach. So these things about Geo sending a message with his starting lineup, etc. That I don't think any manager would cut their nose off to, to spite their face. You look at guys like Chulak. When when Geo was at Feyenoord, he had a big target man. He brought three of them in. Chulak, one hundred percent, will be a player bought for Giovanni Van Bronckhorst for his style. Malik Tillman, absolutely the same. You would imagine that's a player he wants. He's very, very similar to Hadji in his style of play. Van Bronckhorst absolutely loved Hadji when he came in. So there are players in there that Van Bronckhorst will probably have wanted more and pushed for more, but there is a collaborative approach there. Ross Wilson isn't turning around and saying, I found this guy and I've signed him, He's, he's starting tomorrow. So I think there is a bit of a misunderstanding there that just because someone is Dutch or or a player is Dutch and just because someone is British, it doesn't mean the manager has gone and found them. There's a recruitment team who will come back and say, here are five players for this position that you've identified. Let's collaboratively decide who we think is the best one. Ross Wilson will agree, sign off the budgets, etc. That, to my mind, is how it works. So that whole debate about ross wilson's transfer windows or ross wilson this i think it's a collaborative thing not to shift the blame or, or anything like that because i think absolutely he can be doing better if you look at the wage bill that we have i think value for money there is probably missing which i think is a key thing for for uh for ross wilson and, and his role but he isn't signing the players without the manager's consent the manager is going to be very very involved in that as steven gerrard was um Andy, I just say, yeah, I was
2: just going to say, I think I, 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 totally, I totally agree with you. I mean, you might know better than I do. I think where criticism is justified uh, is, like you said, in the overall decision making, whether it is a collaborative approach or not, the recruitment uh, group, whether it's the manager, Ross Wilson, the recruitment previously, it was the scouting and Andy scolding. Collectively, the the yep. results have have not proven to be, to be to be good, and it goes back to Gerard, not just It's back to, to to when Gerard was there. Now, I I I think there is maybe an argument to be made that where are we scouting properly, um, and are we tapping into markets, not just the Dutch market, because that's an easy argument to make. We've got a yeah. Dutch manager. Why are we not signing Dutch players? No, it doesn't work like that. But are there other markets? That we could be tapping into that we're not uh, simply because we're constantly looking on the the resale value, and if we, that's why we're looking down south more often than not, instead of actually buying in players for less value, perhaps to begin with, but we might actually be able to to do a job, and that's where I think there, there's fair criticism from fans, um, but I, I completely agree with you. Like to just say, well, Ross Wilson's deciding everything—that's simply not the case. And I think no. you're right. There,
1: there could be there could be board not necessarily board pressure but board influence there in terms of we want to buy younger players who have a significant resale value to get this player trading model on the go as well so all of those sort of factors come into it um who the manager wants who who we can afford first of all who the scouting team recommends who the board think um possibly financially makes the most sense all of that sort of stuff i think comes into the the melting pot um there but i think just because. Van Bronckhorst hasn't signed Dutch players. Doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't have a say in, in any of the recruitment. I would, I would suggest, and he said himself last night, he picked the players that he thought were were best for the the role. And we've had a discussion about it, a, a, and that we probably agree. The only one that maybe we thought maybe should have played would have been Tilman. Um, I guess when you when you really boil down to it, so as a as an as a convenient little none of the signings played thing. But I think when you when you dial down to it, you probably think, okay, well. That's because of this and that's because of that. Anyway, um, let us move on. There was a comment which uh I have lost now because there are so many coming in. Thank you again, but um it does it is difficult to find them. Um Ryan Stewart uh, Ross a little while ago, I think we have to look at last night in two parts before and after the red cards. Up in the red card, up until the red card, we were well in the game. Probably had the better chances. For those of you who subscribe to the Rangers Review, Joshua put out a, a data piece earlier on which showed exactly that. In terms of chance creation, literally up until the penalty, Rangers were uh, ahead. Not by much, but but they were ahead, certainly, and had the, the better of the chances. Ross, we spoke about one of the chances earlier on, Morelos's, which was a really decent chance in a really decent area. Doesn't take into account his fitness, doesn't take into account his height, anything like that. Maybe a different player would have scored it, fair enough. He had the other one later on in the second half, which he missed, kicked, but it's probably still a difficult chance. There was another one for, for John Lundstrom, I think. It was a header that he probably got underneath as well. But overall, we talked about commitment and we talked about desire and we talked about effort, but I felt we matched Napoli. Certainly for that first half, we matched them. We had, I would say, the better of the chances. And to be honest, it didn't look like we'd come off the back of two very big defeats, which if we want to try and get some sort of victory out of things, I think that is that is quite pleasing.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure, and I totally agree with Ryan's comment there. It's exactly how I would look at that game as well. Because I mean, you said matching them in the first half. I think we were the better team in the second part, the first part of the second half, right up until the penalty as well. It totally changed the game. It changed the dynamic of it. But we eleven v eleven, we're more than competing with them. And like we all said, that's all we really wanted to see. Obviously, we want the result as well if it can come, but on the back of two absolute chasings and the manner of those chasings as well the main thing we wanted to see was a Rangers team that believed that they could compete with this level of opposition and if their quality shows in the end then that's okay, I can live with that but I was really, really impressed with us in that, in that first half in terms of matching Napoli. And I think as well, we need to be realistic, and I think we were, that they are always going to create chances. McGregor made a really, really good save in the first half. They obviously hit the post inside two minutes. A team of Napoli's quality are always going to do that to you, and we need to be accepting of that. But on the other hand, I thought we kept them really honest at the back. There's those chances that you mentioned. The Arfield chance early on in the second half, which is a really, really good chance. He just doesn't hit it cleanly enough, maybe... Onto the ball, we've seen them do that before And score goals that way, it's all conjecture But that might have changed the game if that had went in We don't know, but I think the thing that impressed Me most, like I said, was we were matching up To them and we were competing with them and making them Honest, and the other side of that as well On the other end of the pitch was, even though They were creating good chances I think we defended a lot better last night yep. Even from, you know, set pieces as well Which i seen Joshua's piece about sort of Marking and how we went back to a man-to-man approach Last night, which I think was noticeable at set pieces mm-hmm, And we were absolutely. an awful lot more confident in defending them. So it was a double-edged sword in that sense. But yeah, right up until the penalty, I thought we were probably, maybe, arguably the better side. Close call but we were definitely keeping the honest at the back. But as soon as the penalty is given and more importantly, James Sands goes off, then it becomes a totally different game. Even when, after all the drama eh, <laughs> we got away with it and it was still another turnaround and I said to my uncle saying that I think holding out with 10 men for half an hour is a massive, massive ask and I think that did toll in the end.
1: Yes, that's, that's what that's where I think the level comes into play even more, Andy. Um, this isn't uh holding out again, holding out with nine men even against Ufa, Um, where they're they're just going to try and pepper the box or whatever. This is a different kettle of fish. They they were they're going to pull you apart. They, they pulled us apart with eleven men at, at times. We, let's talk about the the James Sands thing then. Uh, Scott Arfield I think loses the ball and it's a long ball over the top. Sands and Lundström are kind of caught under it for, for the first time in the game. I thought that back three had worked really well. Certainly with Barris tucking in a little bit more and Tavernier going forward, it was almost like a back four even when we had the ball. Um, it meant that they weren't getting down the sides too much. That one ball kills us, getting undone by that quick turnover and the ball over. Um, I can't quite remember what you're your thoughts were on in terms of the whether it was a penalty or not but for me the ball comes over it's very unfortunate I think it goes through Sands' legs he then tries to I assume tries to challenge for it I think he ends up clipping clipping the guy's heels in real time I thought that's a little bit clumsy it's probably going to be a penalty you factor in the referee who was incredibly pernickety anyway as we know uh, and then VAR as well I thought yeah that's that's going to be um, that's going to be a penalty. Obviously, with our luck just now, it's a second yellow, which I think is absolutely right as well, and a red card. Um, what was your take on, I guess, the penalty incident itself and then obviously the the drama around uh, McGregor saving both of them?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I thought we were terrific for the first hour. I really, really do mean that. I thought that all, to a man, every single player was was doing their job and the likes of, uh, I think we forced, I think you mentioned, Adam, during the game that they were worried about Barisic whipping him uh, balls in and they were desperately rushing to stop him doing that because we saw the quality we hadn't seen that for months so I think the first hour we were great when it came to the penalty at the time I thought it was harsh having seen the replay I think it just was a penalty um it's pretty nailed on if it was the other way around we'd want to be getting a penalty for that however I do think the booking the second booking was harsh because it was completely accidental there wasn't he wasn't the last man he wasn't the last man because Lundstrom was there and it was a, it was actually a, a mistake by the forward, the Napoli forward, that he missed miscontrolled missed it and took the ball the other way and it went through Sands' legs as he just clipped him. It was a very, very accidental clip. So I feel that a penalty probably justified, second yellow not and that changed the game because McGregor saves the penalty. If we've still got 11 men, we have a chance of getting something out of the game. I don't, I'm not saying we would have, but I think it was a penalty to answer that question, but the booking for me w- was harsh. With regards to the penalty itself, I mean, to save it twice, it's just incredible. McGregor, I think he he's saved something like 11 or 12 penalties now in his time at, wow. during both both times at the club. Um, he's just an incredible shot stopper. I don't know what was going on at <laughs> first. I'm still not sure about the rule for encroachment. But it turns out, if I'm and correct me if I'm wrong here, but because both Tavernier and their forward were in the box as the penalty was being hit, that's why it was retaken as opposed to being an ind- uh, an indirect free kick to us if it'd only been their forward. Have I got that right with the rules?
1: Well, I think there's all. I think yes, but I think there's also a bit of debate about McGregor being off his line as well. But I think the rule is basically if a defending and attacking player. Do something that is not allowed, then it's a retake. Regardless, I think yeah. if it's only an attacking player, I believe it's a free kick for the defending team. But I think because whether so, it was Tav, whether it was McGregor, I don't know. But
2: yeah. Uh, so in that case, again, it was a, it was just drama at the end of the day. But the referee probably got all those decisions right by the letter of the law, as I say, except for the for the booking, and that's just yeah. how I saw it. And we rallied for what a few minutes until <laughs> until the next penalty. But uh, that next few minutes, I mean, listening to it in the TV, the atmosphere was was really, really fueled up at that point. And I thought, you know what? I think maybe the players at that point just got caught up in the occasion and that led to, to conceding the goal.
1: Yeah, I think so. Ross, obviously let's let's chat about McGregor. Just now. We've 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 had Another few, another entrenched debate here um, around McGregor versus McLaughlin. Since obviously McGreg- uh, McLaughlin's absolute horror show at, at Parkhead, um, we seem to be collecting players who can play half a position now. Which <laughs> um, there's there's a lot of them uh, coming in. We've got maybe <coughs> James Sands who defensively. In terms of his physicality, etc., maybe isn't ideal for centre back, but he displays some of the qualities that we would like in terms of playing out from the back, etc. We obviously have—he's the only perfect one, Andy. You're right. He is—he's <laughs> the only—he's the only, only all rounder. Um, we we have someone like Sands. We, we've got this sort of Barisic yelmaz debate. Barisic gives certain things that Yelmaz doesn't. We've spoken about Cholak versus Morelos. There's Sakala versus Kent debates. There's another one brewing here now with with McGregor where. Most people are just absolutely convinced that McGregor should still be playing, or more importantly, I guess, is is a better option than John McLaughlin. I think quite a few people would have been pretty comfortable if McGregor had retired in the summer, um, his time was done, etc. However, at, at the point in time that we've got, most people aren't quite convinced of McLaughlin. I'm not quite sure why, to be honest. That part of show, if it is just that, then fair enough, because that was bad enough to be dropped and, and probably never play again. But up until that point, he'd made some pretty decent saves. McGregor made a save last night um, uh, that I think he saved in the first half um, from Napoli that McLaughlin's done a couple of times. There's one away to PSV. There's, there's one, maybe two at home to USG. He's made those sort of saves before. He obviously is, I was going to say he's better with the ball at his feet. Again, park head aside, but he, he certainly is better with the ball at his feet in terms of build-up. He helps the way that Gio wants to play. We've spoken before about how he is coming for crosses, etc., The strengths that McGregor has, and they are huge strengths, is obviously shot-stopping. I think most people think he is probably more commanding in terms of his area and the defence, but but shot-stopping and obviously the penalty saves and obviously being Mm -hmm. Alan McGregor. So we've got this light and shade debate where they're almost like two polar opposite keepers. One has made massive howlers um, this season. One made a couple of howlers last season, I think people were, were being very critical of. Um, So it's an interesting debate and it's kind of opened up again I think people were were pretty quiet about it up until Parkhead but the debate is now opened up again about who is going to play Um, and to be honest it's probably more to do with how poor McLaughlin was in that Parkhead game rather than than anything else but I guess what's your take on on that moving forward and obviously a bit of praise again for McGregor for those, those two penalty stops?
0: Oh Christ, you're giving the fun ones, don't you, Adam? Um, <laughs> I think uh, I think there's a couple of things at play here. One of them is maybe recency bias um, in terms of the fact that McLaughlin in at, at Parkhead, maybe in the last two games, if you wanted to stretch it out to Ajax as well, there were goals that we conceded that yeah, he absolutely should have done better with. I think it's an the level of performance that he put in at Parkhead. He was at fault for you could maybe argue three of the goals directly that we conceded. Certainly Turnbull's one right at the end although the game was done. It was a shocking performance. I think people would have had him drop then. We go away to Ajax. I don't think he was half as bad there. I wouldn't maybe directly blame him for any of the goals that we conceded. I mm-hmm. think that was just a quality side. But, you know, people were critical because, again, it's a Rangers goalkeeper shipping four goals. Well, McGregor, I'm very much of the view that if he wasn't the answer two weeks ago, he isn't the answer now. And I think that needs to be really mindful when we're actually having this discussion. I think a couple of weeks ago, people were very much of the notion, in the main, at least that because John McLaughlin offers us a lot more in terms of the ball at his feet, his ability to play over the back, uh, his range of passing, he is more commanding in the area than Alan McGregor is, and the shot stopping, at least domestically, against near enough everyone but Celtic, it shouldn't be too much of an issue because we shouldn't need them to have that, you know, pull out big save after big save time after time. And we do need to be mindful of the latter half of last season and the Alan McGregor that was putting in those performances then. If you think of the mistakes to, you know, Ross County or Motherwell, you could go on. I don't want to do that here, but there was a reason why we did change the gloves this season. Even if you think to the later half of last season against Celtic at Hamden, it was John McLaughlin that played then as well because of those extra things that he could give us in terms of bringing the ball um, out from the middle of the air, from a corner, playing the ball out from the back, etc, etc. I still think domestically, at the very least, it should be John McLaughlin and goals for that reason. I think in terms of our build-up play, in terms of quickly moving the ball on, directly passing to players from maybe a, a larger distance, he offers that in a way that Alan McGregor just doesn't. And I don't think that's really that much of an argument. In Europe, possibly, if you want to try and do something a wee bit different, where maybe you are going to need that shot stopper behind you, then yeah, Alan McGregor on a night like last night, I mean... Listen, we're watching those penalties last night. There's nobody else we would have rather had between the sticks and Alan McGregor. You mentioned it there, Andy, about that incredible record of penalty saves and um, the big saves as well that Alan McGregor has pulled out in Europe aside from just penalties. It's huge, right? It's massive. But we can't keep doing this every time one, one keeper makes a mistake where we go, oh, it should be McGregor in and, and then McGregor goes in and then he doesn't come from a corner that yeah. he should have been someone scores from a 6 hour, but I we'll was go, oh, McLaughlin would have done that. And that was always going to be my worry. And it's been my worry since Alan McGregor signed a new contract. So unless we sign a goalkeeper in January, which I think is highly unlikely, I don't know where we go from here for the rest of the season. We can't keep chopping and changing goalkeepers because that doesn't put any confidence in your back four or back three or however the hell we're going to set up in the next few weeks. I've seen a couple of comments coming in about that, but it doesn't put any confidence in your team because you don't have that level of stability. We've seen it at the start of last season when we were jumping between McLaughlin and McGregor. It didn't end well, did it? You know, I mean, we were conceding goals left, right and centre then as well, so I don't think that's the answer. So yeah, domestically, I'll be sticking with... John McLaughlin, because as I say, with the ball at his feet and the commanding presence, I think we need that more than what Al McGregor offers us in terms of the shot-stopping, but maybe if you wanted to bring him in for European games, or indeed games against Celtic, where well, you might need that skill set a wee bit more, then yeah, but we just we can't keep having this conversation, Adam.
1: So basically we, we need to have someone like Morelos, who is an undisputed first pick, and then we'll probably debate why we don't have suitable backup for him, or we have two players who we can see positive and negatives, and, and, and then every game we'll just say, oh, this one would have done it, and that one would have done it. Really, that's just sums up being a Rangers fan, I think, in, in an absolute <laughs> nutshell. we just Thank never never, We're never happy. Andy, you mentioned, uh, back to the game, you sort of mentioned it, maybe got a little bit ragged. I think, yes, that ball 100% comes off Barisic's hand. It's, it's up here. Um, I don't know if there's a deflection off his thigh or, or whatever, but I certainly didn't notice that um, at the time. McGregor, to be fair, almost saves that one as well. He goes the right way, just doesn't quite get there. Similar to one of the penalties in... In Sevilla, if we want to take our mind back to to that, which I, no, I don't thankfully, no, but we don't. Um, no. but thank you. <laughs> but this is where we, st- I guess, we start to talk about the level then because they go a goal up. We kind of, I didn't really know what we should do here. We're thinking with all of the scar tissue that we've got, we're 1 nil down, we're 10 men down, we've got players who haven't played a lot of minutes. Jack had went off, um, Scott Arfield, Alfredo Morelos unlikely to last full games given the amount of game time they've had or, or the age that they are certainly in, in our field's case um, so it's almost like a sort of sticker twist moment um, and I, I, to be honest I'm not really sure what we did, obviously we, we had 15 minutes there where not a huge amount really happened Colac um, and Matondo came on, didn't really see much of the ball, Matondo I think he sort of closed down a little bit and he had a couple of decent moments but Um, Cholak really wasn't that involved however again to Rossi's piece earlier on probably really wasn't a situation where we were going to get people up to run and and get up to support them etc so you kind of can't really blame on that but what I want to talk about though is is the the last two substitutions which might seem strange but I found it quite strange at the time Um, not strange that Tavernier came off because I think he he didn't look fit most of the night I would suggest and I was actually surprised that he lasted until the 82nd minute Um, and not really too concerned about Davis coming off again for reasons that we've said, age, doesn't play every week, blah, blah, blah. Tillman coming on, I can understand that, but I was surprised to see Kamara in this instance, Andy. Um, not because of Kamara specifically, but just because it didn't really make sense. It, it meant that we, for the last 10-15 minutes of, of a game that we were losing 1-0, um, we went with a back three of Borna Barasic, Connor Goldson and Leon King, which I didn't think I would ever see, never mind um, six months ago. Now, Kamara for me is is at fault for both goals. Um, I think he's he's not he's tracking his runner for for the second goal by by Raspadori, and he's maybe not strong enough to to shrug him off. But he's obviously hundred percent at fault for, for the third goal. But is that a a misstep for you from Gio? It sort of goes back to the point. Well, we've got we've, we've got a right back on on the on the bench and and Divine. We've got a centre back on the bench and Davies. Are they not trusted to come on in, in that situation? you would rather put a midfielder on and shuffle three players out of position just to. I don't know, just to, to, to bring him on, just to get Tavernier off. What do you think about that one? It's probably quite harsh to, to to blame in that instance, but to me that just felt a little bit strange and the way it plays out is we lose two goals and Kamara is involved. Whether they are both his fault or not is up for debate, but he's certainly involved and he didn't really cover himself in, in glory.
2: So I'm going to contradict myself here. I'm, as you guys know, I've been leaning more to the, I'm not sure Gio's the right man, camp in the last few in the last few weeks. Uh however, I don't I'm not going to criticize him for that decision because okay. I, I, he must have had some kind of idea as to why he was doing it. He probably thought, well, it's only 1-0. If we can get some kind of counterattack. Kamara, who for me is done at Rangers, he has been for a, about a year and a half now. Um but maybe Gio felt that in transition he'd be the sort of guy that could turn the ball, because that's what he's good at, getting the ball and playing a pass that could release some Tondo or a Kent, who we still had on the part, to try to get an equaliser that's what I'm assuming Gio's mindset was that we're 1-0 down 3-0, 1-0 is not really a huge difference, it's a defeat um, or even 2-0 he might might not have thought of we might as well have to try and go for it yeah, in hindsight, it's easy to say we put Divine so you've got a like-for-like like change. You and I spoke about it during the game, Adam. Tab's never going to last. Get Divine on or or, uh, or King. And then you, at least you've got like a, set, a back four that can still play with Lindstrom just in front. But I guess with 10, he felt he had to go with it. Uh, i had to have a little, a little change to try and do something. It didn't work out. It's as simple as that. It did look, in hindsight, and again, I don't want to be too harsh. This is my contradiction coming in. It did look, at the time, a little bit strange, and it badly cost us. But for me, I'm sorry, those. The, I'm not going to blame Kamara for the first goal because I thought it was just quality from Napoli. You saw a Serie A team in, in full flight there. It was beautiful <laughs> to watch. Beautiful to watch that kind of pass, move, finish. But the second goal was, I uh, uh, thought, the third goal, second uh, one that Kamara. Uh, you could probably blame it was entirely his fault and it's it's playground stuff, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, it's unforgivable to do that and for a guy who's not been on form if he's had a, one bad mistake then fine, but this is a guy that has not been on form for some time, I think a lot of Rangers fans have lost patience with Glen Kamara and I think he has obviously maybe lost the the focus. Maybe he's wanted a move. That's what it seems like to me. He hasn't got it. His close pals and the team have moved on. He's still there. And he just looks like he's not comfortable um, on the park at all. Uh, it's a shame because we, we know what kind of skill set Kamara's got, what he offers us. But I thought, you know, Europe where he gets maybe a bit more time and space to play the gate last night, he just, he had time. It wasn't like the guy was breathing down his neck. He had time. Yep. And he walked straight into trouble. Um, which is just just criminal. So, yeah, I'm not going to give Gio too much of a, of a hard time for that change because I think at that point he just thought, well, I might as well try something.
1: Yeah, and that's the, perfect, that's the
2: thing. It could be if it comes off
1: as a masterstroke. <laughs> that's that's, a, that's well, range that's of a... manager. If it comes off and you've managed to to get a draw with a back three like that, fair enough. If not, we keep saying this. It's not an excuse. These are the levels. One one mistake, one switch off, and, and you end up going from <laughs> 1-0 to, to 3-0.
2: And Kamara, when Gerard was a manager, Kamara would cover that that position—that you know, both right back and left back—when Barisic or Tav went forward. So it's something that he's yeah. used to, as well. So That's there true. is that case as, as well. I read Ross, your book, Adam.
1: Oh, good. I was going—I'm not going to plug it again. It's getting a bit incestuous in here, but um, Ross, we obviously we lost the game, um, which is is not great, but we did beat Napoli yesterday, didn't we? Do you want to give us a quick update on how the uh, the other game went in the UEFA Youth League.
0: It actually took me a second to clock on to what you meant there. I thought you we were losing the plot, Adam. But yes, <laughs> obviously um the Young Bears played in the Youth League, the mirrored fixture against that play at Fur yesterday and ran out three, two winners. And I think it was clear it was James who done the, the full coverage of that game if you want to go listen to it on the on the Patreon site. But I think it was clear that that Napoli team that the Rangers B team or under-19s as they're formally called in this competition were up against where maybe not at the same level that the Ajax team were that they played a week ago and I think Anytime that James and I talk to Dave McCallum and to the B team and even talk on the show, it's all about diversifying challenges for these young kids and putting them up against a level of opposition that they just won't face domestically. I think we've seen that possibly in the Lowland League in terms of giving them that different challenge there, but this is playing against the best of the best at your level and even though we speak about, as we should, the benefits of course that playing in the Champions League should bring to the first team like investment, even though we've not spent any of it, I'm joking, but. Yes, you know, we talk about all those things like investment and the nights that we have at iBrooks and how special they'll be, but also has a massive impact as it trickles down the club into the youth system as well because the B team get these fixtures and they get to play in these, you know, great stadiums against these great players at their own age group. And as I say, it's just that diversification of the challenges that they face that helps them in their path of development to hopefully make it into the first team in the future. So it was a really positive result there again yesterday off the back of, I think, a really good performance away in Ajax last week. They were really, really unlucky not to get the result off the back of that as well. So it's really, really positive and really encouraging their start to the youth league and I'm excited to see where it goes. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, no, it was. I think you're right. Ajax looked an absolute different level at both ends of the spectrum last week, but it was good to see that we got that victory. We'll finish up then just a couple of minutes, Andy, on a a Dundee United preview. Um... I've done, I don't know how many extra shows this year, 10 maybe, (coughs) and on at least seven of them. I've said surely this weekend will be the time that we see Ben Davies and Ridvan Yelmaz come into the team. Uh, And I think I have been disappointed on six of them. I don't know if, I can't even remember if Davies played against Kilmarnock, but I know that Ridvan did. Um, What do you think? (laughs) Dundee United are are awful. I think everyone knows that. We've seen seen results that uh, would absolutely back that up. Um, In theory... That's a team that you really want to be playing when you're when you're a wounded Rangers. However, we know Dundee United always like to raise a game against Rangers. Blah blah blah. Um, the manager I would imagine will be quite stung by the performances of the players. I think in in those two games against Ajax and Celtic, but probably quite stung by the level of of criticism. Uh, I think as well uh, as a as a manager, most of which I think is is absolutely valid. After the first Celtic defeat in February, he he made a pretty significant change to his playing style and he went with Jack and Lundstrom as that sort of deeper defensive two. He sort of ditched the right winger, um, if you like, and went more for a sort of Scott Arfield's inverted winger um, up there, which was probably pretty dramatic for how he wanted to play. Um, do you think we could? Do you think it's likely that we're going to see something like that again, or, or do you think we're going to have the same? players coming out domestically and, and kind of performing in that same way that we've both said on this in this uh, show that we don't think is going to be enough for us to try and go and win this league. What do you think? Are we going to see a complete revolution uh, on, on Saturday? Are we Are going to come out all guns blazing? Or is it going to be maybe more of the same and, and trust in Van Bronckhorst's process?
2: Um, I think regarding this weekend, I mean I think the last home game we played, the game before uh, the old firm was at St Johnston at home we had in the, or, or who County? was it? Ross County. Ross County. I think we did play just one centre, one sort of defensive central midfielder, and, and went for it. I think we'll probably see something similar. Listen, we've got to back back it up. We showed signs last night that were that were Rangers, and what I mean by that is that we know how to to give the the fans a performance and and show a bit of intensity. I want us to treat Dundee United with utter contempt this weekend, the way that the other mob do. There is absolutely no excuse for us not to win this game this weekend and if the players do not and it's hard for the manager as well of course picking the right team but the players have to come out the traps and quickly because the last thing that the Rangers fans need, and I think the players and the management as well, is it for it to be nil-nil or even one-nil going into the last 10, 15 minutes. And we're chasing yeah. that, where the crowd is on the bye. And listen, I feel it watching it on the TV. is horrible. That drudgery, that monotony. We cannot have that. With that said, any, any win. We need a win. We've got to get a goal. We haven't scored in three games. We need to score... A go, hopefully early. Get the game won by half time, and then we can relax in the second half. We have to back this up. Any more drop points in the league, and it is terminal for the championship. I really believe that at this stage, seven points at this stage would be, I think, far too far, far too much. At five points, if we can keep it to that, or even better, between now and the World Cup, then we can we can have a go at it. So, no more errors in the league at all, Geo. None at all. We cannot afford it. Uh, in, in my opinion and I think it starts I think phase two if you like of Geo's tenure starts now, in other words he's had some blips, he's had some ups, he's had some downs, uh, this is as low as it's probably going to get and if we can get a win, a nice comfortable home win and a clean sheet scoring some goals but most importantly, well not most because the result was most important but giving the fans something because you guys that go, you earned it you, you know, you've sat through some some tough matches, and we need to have the players firing. It's a three o'clock game, isn't it? So we can't have any early Saturday morning excuse. Oh, we don't start. The players don't start until, uh, what is it, one o'clock, one thirty on, yeah. on a Saturday. No, it's a three o'clock Saturday game, just the way we like it. Get out, get the job done. I think he'll go with a more attacking formation. Um, I'm sure he'll play Lundstrom plus either Jack or Arfield, but I don't think they will be like three o'clock <coughs> or anything like that. I expect Tillman uh, to play uh, Kent and and Morelos, something like that up front, and maybe even one other attacking player in there as well. Something like a 4-2, a 4-1, 4-1, something like that, maybe, um, with more attacking players on the park. Davies, or Yilmaz, Maybe Yilmaz will play. Um, I can't see Davies starting, I have to be honest, unless he's planning for sans suspension in Europe. Um, But there's an argument that he'll probably stick with a consistent back four. So that that's, that. that's I'm not sure he'll change anything defensively, but further up the, at the field, yeah, I think he will.
1: I guess that's going to be interesting, Ross, isn't it? That Obviously, people will have the debate anyway about oh, he might not want to play X player or Y player because all of that debate that we covered earlier on. Um, I'd maybe go as far as to say if we don't see Ben Davies tomorrow, I'm not sure when we're ever, we're ever going to because he's he's been, I think the manager said he was injured. He's obviously not featured for a while, but he has been on the bench for the last couple of games, but it's one game before a big international break, and I think getting getting a player in and getting them settled, as Andy mentioned, um, Champions League coming up, Sands is going to be be missing for uh, the trip to Anfield. Um, ideally, you probably don't want to be throwing Leon King in there, however, on the flip side of that, you could probably say Leon King might be more Rangers ready. He's been around the team more than than Ben Davies, so there's a bit of debate there, which I think is interesting. But what would you like to see? Um, maybe not so much in that sort of defensive side, but maybe a little bit further forward. Because as we've discussed, Jack Davis and Arfield both went pretty deep into the game on on Wednesday night. None of the three of them are really in what we would class as peak physical condi- peak physical condition anymore. We don't have Lawrence. Um, there was maybe a case for Kamara coming into the team on, on Saturday. I'm not sure there's much appetite for that right now in terms <laughs> of, of the fans either. So we've also got the Cholak and Morelos debate. We've got the Kent debate as well, who hasn't been firing, although I thought he was much improved um, last night, certainly in the first 45 minutes or an hour. Um, there's a lot of, of people. There's a lot of bodies there. But again, we're in this situation where are there? how many of them are there that you can really hang your hat and say they should definitely be playing in this game?
0: And not an awful lot, which, I, which is why I think I would maybe like to see a couple of changes in there. One name that's not been mentioned in terms of who we've spoken about so far that can maybe come in and step into that midfield, something a wee bit different, something we've not done before is young Charlie McCann. Yeah,
1: a good we're talking point, about yeah. trying, to
0: get player, you know, trying to get players, and obviously I'm, a, I'm the, you know, the V-team guy, so I'm going to be a big advocate for it, but we're talking about trying to really put the foot down on this Ajax model and the Ajax of Rangers. That needs to start with bringing more players through the ranks. Now, Alex Lowry would probably have featured his injuries prevented that. We're talking about Leon King at the back. Maybe, maybe Leon King will play if Ben Davies doesn't at centre half. I don't know. It could be the perfect opportunity for him to do that. I think in the midfield, you need to start having a look at Charlie McCann and what he can bring to the table because we have seen it in flashes and I think we know that he can compete at this level. I am more than confident to hang my hat on the statement that Charlie McCann can compete at Ibrox against this level of opposition. You're right to say that they're poor. I know they've sacked the manager, but this is a god-awful Dundee United side. I am more than confident that he can perform under this you know pressure in that environment, more than confident of that. So if you wanted to try and throw you know something different into the mix, maybe confused under United in the way that they traditionally set up to play against us that unknown quantity that Charlie McCann could bring to the table I'd like to see him come in Talking about further forwards, Morelos or Cholak, I know there's a lot of discussion about can you play both. Probably not for more reasons than one. I think we have tried to play Morelos with a striker in the past. It doesn't work. He's not that kind of player. They run into the same space. It just it not conducive to a good attacking team. It's probably going to be one or the other. I would imagine that it probably would be Morelos, given the fact that he started... Um, the other day, last night rather and given the fact that we do want to get him up to some kind of match fitness but I think that maybe goes for the other players as well you talk about Ben Davies you're talking about Yilmaz. look at our schedule in October right we're going to need to rotate players at some point we've got a mental schedule between after this international break and the upcoming World Cup we need to try and get players into the squad and get them fit and firing for going forward when we do need to call upon them which again Personally, for me, is another reason why we be trying to play Charlie McCann as well because you need a, you need a big squad for the games that we're going to play, you know, the competitions that we want to be in, especially in this mental schedule up until the World Cup. You need to be able to give players a rest. To do that, you need to be able to bring players into the fold. You need to have them match sharp so you can still get results along the way. So yeah, I think tomorrow's maybe a good chance for that to see players like Yelmaz and Davies and, like I say, Charlie McCann. Do I expect it to happen? Possibly not. It wouldn't surprise me at all if Gio goes out tomorrow with that same settled back four. But I think if he was to do that, I think it'd be a massive wasted opportunity.
1: And we've also got Lowry as well. Um, I know he's maybe a little bit <coughs> further behind in terms of injury, uh, etc. And he's, yep. he's just recovering. Yep. But um, if we're looking for a player who can give us a little bit more, certainly an attacking midfield, then there's an option there as well. So. You're right, McCann and Lowry I hadn't really appreciated um, when I was talking about the players that are available there I'd be more than happy with one or both of them featuring regularly over the next uh, couple of games, certainly domestically I think we have a pretty straightforward run, I don't want to say that too loudly, but is it um, <laughs> Dundee United, Hearts and St Mirren I think off from the top of my head <clears throat> so certainly getting a bit a bit of those a bit of experience into those guys would be would be absolutely fantastic and if they can give us what we need in terms of Build up play, creation of chances, etc. Then absolutely okay. Um, I think that will do us for tonight. Before I die of a coffin fit, um, it's been a, it's been cathartic. I, I wasn't. I'm not going to say it's been enjoyable. It's been a pretty rough ten days or so. Um, my lover got an absolute doing in Amsterdam um, and so did my eyes. <laughs> thanks to thanks to Rangers. But we're back. Um, and as Andy said, hopefully we get a goal in the next game. I think that was facetious, but fingers crossed that we can manage to, to get a goal. Um, Ross, thank you very much for joining me. It's never easy doing one of these when we've been beat, never mind when it's been uh, a bit of a doing. So thank you very
0: much for coming on with me. Oh, no, thank you very much for having me. It's been, yeah, I'll say it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, listeners.
1: And Andy, conscious of the time difference, et cetera, there as well, thank you for jumping on at such a late hour over there. It's much appreciated.
2: Me, Tony, but I'm about to go out now. I'm hitting the pub. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I just I'm just joking. I'm just family man now. No, listen, that'd be great, great to come on. And uh, as you said, cathartic, uh, we are needed. Hopefully that our fortunes will change this weekend.
1: Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Um, but regardless of that, um, if you want to hear more from us, we have match day coverage. Um which is up to five shows a week uh sorry five shows a day i should say from just 1.99 a month on patreon we have preview shows we've got tactical analysis shows we've got b team shows Uh, women's team shows you name it we've got it there if you want to come along and listen you can sign up at heartandhand.co.uk forward slash patreon if you just like the free shows then david will be back on monday with a recap of dundee united to lead us into uh i was going to say a dreaded international break but maybe it's a bit of respite just now we'll have to wait and see how things go but regardless thank you for watching listening comment commenting on the show it's very much appreciated and we'll speak to you soon